Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. Last week we began our study through Ephesians chapter 4. And if you remember, there was a focus at the beginning of chapter 4 on the unity of the church. That uh, Paul had told the Ephesians that God has given us unity both with himself and with one another. But we were exhorted to maintain that unity, to be eager to maintain that unity through our love for one another, through humility, through gentleness, through patience. Well, today he expands upon this unity and talks about how there is diversity within the body. And that diversity brings beauty, but that diversity is, uh, has a goal of maturity within the body. So if you would please, out of love and reverence for God's word, please stand with me as we read our passage today from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, for God does indeed speak to us through his word. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, this is indeed your word. And as your word says, even in this passage, your word is given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that we might build each other up in Christ. And we pray that you would do that even through uh, our time this morning as we look through this verse. Would your spirit intercede through the words that I say, through the way that we hear, would you uh, stir up service and love and faithfulness in the midst of our hearts that we might give you glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Many of you know that when I was in college, I participated in Army ROTC. Uh, what, uh, what I didn't really know what I was getting myself into when I did Um, And I remember when I first showed up my freshman year, I was told to report to the ROTC building, and there was a long line, and once we made it into the the room in the ROTC building, uh, my eyes grew wide, and I was amazed because this room was filled with Army gear. There were uh, Army uniforms and boots and gloves and helmets and shovels and backpacks, and you can name it, and I immediately recognized that I was going to get my share of some of this cool army stuff, and I had no idea that I was even going to be able to wear a uniform uh, in my college days, Uh, and so you you can imagine my surprise when we went on our first field training exercise just a few weeks later, and they handed me a real gun. (laughs) 
Now, I had no idea how to use it. I never really fired a gun before I was in ROTC, and I needed to be equipped. I was equipped with this, but I also needed to be trained to use it. Um, and what we, what we see was that the, the supply sergeant was handing out all this equipment at the order of the commander, but it wasn't for my purposes, and it wasn't for the purposes of all the other cadets that were doing it. It was for the purposes of being able to be trained and equipped to serve our country, to defend this country for uh, the sake of the people here. And when we look at this passage, and when we think about what the Lord's dealing is with the church, uh, we see something similar. Christ, in his victory, has distributed gifts to every one of us, every member of the body of Christ. And the purpose of those gifts is not for our own glory or our own purposes, but the purposes is for building up one another in the body. And if we were to summarize what this passage wants to, to drive home for us, it would simply be that Christ equips the church to build itself up in love. Christ equips the church to build itself up in love. And we'll see this under kind of four simple headings. We see a uniformity of, or universality of the fact that all of us receive gifts, but then there's a great diversity of those gifts, which brings beauty. We see the source of the gifts, which is Christ himself, and we see the purpose of the gifts, which is to build each other up in Christ. So it starts off by talking about the universal nature of the gift. So if you see in verse 7, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So if you remember what we talked about at last week, there at the end of that passage, in verse 6, Paul was talking about all these alls, or there was all these ones, one Lord, one faith, one hope. So there's unity, and he keeps talking about, uh, and he said in that last verse, verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So there's this focus on all. But then he says each one. So now he shifts from talking about this unity of all, but now talking to each one of us. And he says each one of us, um, this grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, uh, this grace, um, when we talk about grace, there could be different kinds of grace. Well, of course, all of us have saving grace. If we are in Christ Jesus, we have been united to Christ. We have been saved through, by grace through faith. So we have that saving grace. But that's not the type of grace that Paul is talking about here. Um, uh, John Stott calls this service grace. And I think that's a helpful term, service grace. He's talking about grace that is given to serve the saints. So a brief Greek lesson, the word for grace is the word charis, and um, in, elsewhere in scripture when we hear about spiritual gifts, the word is charismata, so from, you probably can hear charismatic is a word that we get from that, which is usually a, a section of Christianity that is focused on spiritual gifts which is, uh, it's usually some section of spiritual gifts, which is kind of unfortunate because what Paul says is that each one of us is a recipient of these gifts. Um, that 
Every one of us has a participation in this gift receiving. So kids, students, adults, every one of us is a recipient. If we are in Christ Jesus, we have been given gifts for the building up of the church. But the, even though it's a universal gifting, there is a diversity of gifts. Now notice he says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's a, there's a hint that not every one of us has the same gift and not every one of us has the same measure of gifts. And if we look down to verse 11, Paul lists out a number of different gifts that, he, that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Those are all gifts that are focused on teaching, and there's a diversity of gifts within those gifts alone. But there's really uh, four verses throughout the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. And if you were to look at those different passages side by side, and you try to harmonize the different verses, what you'd see is a list of roughly 20 different spiritual gifts. There's, there doesn't seem to be an attempt to come up with a concise list or a precise list, but it's a maybe a representative list of the gifts that God gives to his church. There are different types of gifts, ranging from these teaching gifts to gifts of mercy or hospitality or generosity. Um, there are gifts that, are, that Christ has given to the church for the purposes of what he intends to do through the church. Um, there's, it ought to remind us that there's no such thing as a cookie-cutter Christian, while we, there's unif, unity within the church, there isn't uniformity. It's not like the army where they want one particular view of a soldier that's going to be uniform in every way. No, God, through his beautiful design, creates great diversity. So there's a, a wide range of types of gifts, okay? Um, but also, it's different measures of the gift, he says, each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. One person might receive a greater measure of that gift as opposed to another. So we have different men within Zion, Presbyterian Church, who are gifted to teach. But the way that each of us teach is not the same. We diff have different strengths in different areas, different ways of explaining things or expounding things. And there's a beauty to that. And I think perhaps when we, when we think about different measures of gifts, um, you might think of the parable that Jesus taught about the parable of the talents, where there was one who received ten talents, another five, another one. And, our, and, and that may be part of what Paul has in mind, this different measures of gifts. And I think our heart immediately says, but that's not fair. Why, why should somebody get more, more gifts, more gifting or greater gifting than, than me? To which I think we should immediately respond, you're right, it's not fair. Because this is grace. There's nothing fair about grace. There's no reason why any one of us should receive any gift at all. It's grace. It's not deserved. It's not warranted. It's God lavishing upon us. But we also have to remember that these gifts are not for our own personal glory. It's for the good of the church. So when we, when we think about gifts being distributed, it can't be something where we 
covet. We certainly should not covet another person's gift. We should rejoice because God has given that gift to us to benefit from, to be built up in uh, in the church. Um, and we have to remember that just because someone has received a greater measure of a particular gift doesn't mean that it doesn't, I mean, it comes with greater responsibility. To whom much is given, much is uh, required. There's a greater accountability for that particular gift. And remember, in God's economy, it is the weaker that is honored. It is the, the one who receives less that is exalted. The gifts that are given are for the common good. Um, so there's great diversity. The point is that there are different gifts, different types of gifts, different measures. We can expect that within the body, but they are for the purpose of building each other up, for bringing that unity to completion, for bringing beauty to the unity. And we ought to rejoice in the gift that is given to us. And particularly because we know that this, these gifts were distributed by Christ himself. As it says um, in verse 8, it says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this passage here, Paul is actually quoting from Psalm 68, which is part of what we read in our call to worship this morning. And if you were to go look at Psalm 68, and you were to compare the quote against what Paul says in this passage, you would actually see some notable differences. For one thing, Psalm 68 says, For you ascended on high, and you gave gifts to men. Where it says, here it says, He ascended on high. And the second is, uh, Psalm 68 says, You received gifts. Whereas here he says, You gave gifts. And while there seem to be some textual differences, Paul isn't straying from the intent of what Psalm 68 is getting at. Because Psalm 68 is a psalm where the Israelites are pleading to God to bring deliverance, just like he had of old. And it's a victory psalm. And in ancient times, what would happen is that a, a conquering victor would lead a triumphal procession, and he would receive gifts from among the captives. And once he had received the gifts, he would distribute the gifts to his people as part of the spoils of victory. And Paul seems to be suggesting that very thing. Remember that earlier in the book of Ephesians, Paul has made a big point to say Christ has been exalted. He has been exalted to the highest heaven. He has been given authority over all things. All things have been put under his feet. By his uh, resurrection and ascension, we know that he has been victorious. And now he's connecting that with the distributing of gifts. This is not a victory that is that Christ is not sharing. Indeed, Christ is sharing his victory and the spoils of his victory with his people so that in his victory, each one of us is receiving a measure of that gift that he has received so that we have those gifts in the church. And he goes on to say, in, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. The, again, Christ descended in his incarnation to be with us. And so as a result, he ascended back into the heavenly realms that he might fill all things. And so if Christ is the one who has given us these gifts, and it is a share of his victory, 
we ought to know what does he intend us to do with these gifts. Are these simply just gifts for our own benefit or are they for some greater purpose? And he goes on to say the purpose is quite simply that we might build up the body of Christ. He starts in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So he begins by talking about these, what I'll call equipping gifts. These gifts that are there for equipping, uh, the teaching gifts of the church. And we should probably go through and look at each one of these individually. He He starts with the apostles. Now, if you've been coming to our Acts Bible study, we've talked a lot about the apostles. The apostles were the eyewitnesses of Christ who were given this particular charge to testify that Christ is, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God who has been raised from the dead and is now ascended into heaven. That's one kind of apostle, the apostle of Christ Jesus, set apart by Jesus to proclaim his word. But in a more general sense, the term apostle really just means sent. So also in Acts, we see... um, sent apostles of the church. So perhaps Barnabas was one of those sent by the church to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, We have uh, such apostles today. We would probably call them missionaries. When we take one of our number and we commission them and we send them out, they're an apostle in a very general sense. Um, That's one kind of gift that Christ has given. The next is prophets. When we think about prophets, we usually think about the Old Testament prophets. And the prophets were the men through whom God spoke to his people. He gave his word through the prophets. And this may be referring to a New Testament analog of that. A New Testament prophet through whom God gave his word. Uh, Maybe an overlap with the specific men who were called to be apostles. But not all of uh, the books of the New Testament were written by those men. Perhaps There was, um, God had used prophets in the New Testament sense to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ based upon the testimony of the apostolic witness. So they are ones that are speaking on God's behalf. But also, um, prophecy also can have a general sense of one who is just speaking on God's behalf on already revealed scripture. So in one sense, what we're doing right now is prophetic because God has spoken in his word We're proclaiming that verbally, and so this is a prophetic function. Perhaps that is what Paul has in mind, um, is speaking on God's behalf. The third is evangelists. That's probably the easiest for us to understand. Evangelists is one who is sent to proclaim the good news. There's really two instances in the New Testament where somebody is referred to as an evangelist. There's Philip, who's also a deacon, And then there's Timothy, who is told to do the work of an evangelist. Timothy is a pastor. But evangelism really happened any time that somebody was sharing the gospel with somebody who was not a believer, either in a personal standpoint or in a collective standpoint. So it could have been people in the workplace. It could have been individual Christians who are uniquely gifted to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the last two gifts, shepherds and teachers, are so closely aligned that some people think that this is actually one gift, shepherd teachers or pastor teachers. I tend to think that it's actually two different gifts. Um, The shepherd is the one who is called to care for the flock of God, who primarily shepherds through teaching. So all shepherds will be teachers, but not all teachers will be shepherds. 
Some teachers simply teach. They're called just to teach. They're not given a call to shepherd the flock. Um, but all these, notice, all these d- different gifts are teaching gifts. They're focused on the proclamation of the word or building up in a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he says that they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, and no, notice that these are, I think it's notable that Paul doesn't list these out as abstract gifts. And what I mean by that is this. When we talk about gifts, um, if, if you were to say, well, if I were to ask you, what is your spiritual gift? You might say, well, I have the gift of teaching. But notice Paul doesn't say um, that he gave apostleship and prophecy and evangelism and shepherding and teaching to the church. He says he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. The gift isn't the generic quality. It is the person. It is the people through whom that gift is distributed which ought to be remarkable to us for a lot of different reasons, but for one thing, it adds to the diversity of the gift. If, there, if we were talking about the gift of teaching, we might ask, well, what is the one right way to teach? Or what is the one right way to shepherd? But if God, Christ has given the gift through the people, it's going to take on the complexion of the various people through whom that gift is given. Um, and there's going to be a great uniqueness of those ministries because God in his providence has brought us all along different journeys, given us different backgrounds and personalities, and all those add complexion to this, these gifts that are given to the church. And so when you think about yourself and how you would serve to serve the church, understand that the gift isn't something with inside you. The gift is you. That you are the gift that Christ has given to this church. And there may be all sorts of different aspects of how you bless the church, but it is you that is the blessing. And Christ works these things through the church. Now, kids, we're, we're back at school now, um, and I want to talk about an English grammar thing real quick. So the power of the comma is at play in this particular passage. A comma, I don't know about you, sometimes it's like, do you know whether to put a comma into a a verse when you're listing things out, or is it it, kind of just, you know, whenever you feel like it and you just add it, or does it actually add meaning? Um, That seems to be one thing that as English writers we we struggle with. Well, in this particular passage, there's, there's a comma that is not there that was there for a long time that added a lot of confusion to this passage. So if you look at verse 12, when Paul is talking about what is the purpose of these gifts, he says he gave these gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Well, let's look at that part. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. There is no comma in that little phrase. Well, in the original King James Version, there was a comma. So it read like this. To equip the saints comma, for the work of ministry, comma, for building up the body of Christ. Now this is an incredibly important comma or no comma decision because the question is, who is doing the work of ministry? If the comma is there, then it is to equip, that these gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
to equip the saints and for the work of ministry. So it is these apostles, pastors, teachers who are doing the work of ministry. But our, ver- our versions, which are rightfully don't have the comma, it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The, the job of these teaching ministries is to equip the saints, every one of us, to do the work of ministry. It's not the professional clergy who are called to do the work of the ministry. It is every member of the church who is called to do the work of ministry. And the teachers are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And perhaps you remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, where it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, instructing, that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. We need to be equipped to do that which we are doing. Um, and that is the purpose of the teaching ministry that Christ has given. And it's for building up the body of Christ, that for, to equip the saints for building up the body. Now, kids, uh, I'm sure not one of you likes to be told that you are a child or that you are immature. Every one of us has, at one point in time, struggled against that notion of being told, you're immature, you're a child, you need to grow up. We all want to prove that we are self-sufficient and capable. And yet, for us who are parents, know that every single time that we say such things, it's not for the sake of trying to keep our kids down and make them seem inferior. It's because we see that they are not yet fully uh, aware of all the dangers of life, the things that uh, need to happen in the course of their life, um, and that they need to mature in order to be able to function correctly within society. And our Heavenly Father does the exact same thing. Notice what he says. What Paul says is that the reason why we need to be built up, um, starting in verse 14, is so that we may no longer be children. Paul compares us as infants that are in a tiny boat in the midst of the storm where the waves are crashing against us and the winds are blowing, where the waves are the trials of this life and the winds are the winds of every doctrine, every false false message that could come our way. And as New believers, even as young believers, we lack the maturity to be able to stand firm on what is true. Um, God loves us enough to say, no, you, you lack maturity. You need to mature. You need to grow up. You need to ha- have f- a firm foundation of truth. And so what he has done is he has given teachers. It is on the word of God that we are built up in this holy faith. And he says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have been given unity in Christ, and yet we need to be taught and instructed and built up so that we grow in that unity. And um, we have knowledge of the Son of God. If you remember Paul praying that we would know this love and we would know this God, we need to be built up in that knowledge of, son, of the Son of God. That is how we, uh, we grow through the teaching. 
And the purpose is for mature manhood, that we are built up in Christ. We are united in Christ, and yet we need to be built up in him so that we can stand firm in the midst of these storms and winds and trials. And notice that he says that there's an intentionality even to the attacks. Um, he says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. There's an intentionality. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, when we get to that, we will see that we are to put on the armor of God so that we might stand against the devil's schemes. And Satan would like nothing more than to tear this church apart through every wind of doctrine, through false doctrine, through cunning. It will seep in through human cunning as Satan uses the world to do exactly what he intends us and intends to do. And yet our recourse is to be built up in our most holy faith through the teaching of the word. And instead, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. This truth is the truth of Jesus Christ, this solid foundation of the word of God. We are speaking this, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then Notice this final point. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Coincidentally, Ephesians was probably written at the same time that the book of Colossians was, when Paul was probably in Roman prison at the time. And at the end of Colossians, um, he, he mentions that Luke the beloved doctor, the one who wrote Luke and Acts, was there with him. And Luke was a doctor. And this, this language that Paul uses here of the, the joints, the body being held together by every joint with which it's equipped, you almost get a sense that as Paul is dictating this letter, he's looking across the room and he's seeing Dr. Luke. And they perhaps have had conversations about the way that the body works and the magnificent design that God has done and how that is a perfect analogy of the church. And Paul is thinking and he's saying, you know, each one of us is the joints. Like he's, he's not trying to be precise like, well, this is a ten, you're a tendon or a, a blood vessel or thing like that. But the way that the body is connected with this seemingly magical connections of how it nurtures itself, it causes itself to grow, every part fitting together and working. He's like, that's the church. That's how God has formulated the church. With each point, each part, each one of us, some part of that body, working together to build itself up, to nurture itself, to nourish itself, to grow. Of course, Christ is working through all of that, even our individual bodies. He's sustaining those things, causing our heart to beat. But so it is in the church. Christ, by his spirit, works through us to build us up. And he says, when the whole body joined and held together by each when each part is working properly... So when we are working, but not just working, when we're working properly, we make the body grow. It is each one of us that causes the body to grow. It's not just supporting each other as though keeping us stable. That's part of it. But it's causing us to grow and building each other up in love. So God's plan, which he's put into effect in, by Christ and worked out by his spirit, is that he would gift each one of us to be part of this grand and glorious body to build up the church in love. So 
as we reflect on this, just a, a few points I want to highlight. The first is, um, if we require, if we all have these gifts and we need to be equipped to do the work of ministry, hopefully you can see why we place such a big emphasis on the Word of God in every aspect of our ministry here at Zion. It's why our worship service is um, flooded with God's Word, that we would know it, we would be built up by it. That's why the preaching of the Word is central to our worship service, the proclamation of the gospel. It's why in the young life of our church, of all the ministries we could have started, we started Sunday school and a weekly Bible study because we believe that it's through the teachers, through the teaching of the Word, that we are built up and we are equipped to build each other up in love. And that's why our discipleship ministries are focused. Our youth ministry, our men's, our women's, are focused on teaching the Word of God and equipping us to serve one another and to do the work of ministry. It's an essential part of the church. It is how God works through the church. But to, to that a related point is understand how much the Lord intends to use you for his glorious purposes. Every one of us has been gifted with gifts for the building up of the church. Every one of us. If we are in Christ, we have been gifted as a gift to the church. How God has structured you and built you and every aspect of you. Last week we talked about the importance of humility and the foundational nature of humility. And, uh, and when Elder Broom read from Romans chapter 12, it said, you know, each one of us should not think of us ourselves as more highly than we ought, which is true. But humility does not mean that we tear ourselves down and say, I've got nothing to offer. That's pride, especially when the, the Lord says through his word that he has gifted each one of us for service. He has gifted you for service. And that's why we are eager that every member of the church, regardless of whether you are a kid or a student or an adult or any aspect of how, how connected you are to the church, we long for you to participate in every aspect of our uh, ministry because you are how we build up, how Christ builds up his church. It is through each one of us, your gifts, your strengths, your, your love for the church, your encouragement of others, your generous giving, your administrative skills. Every part of it is how Christ functions in the midst of this church. It's when each one of us, it's not, it doesn't say when most of us, when each part is working properly, it builds itself up in love. And so by any one of us saying, I'm not needed, I'm not going to participate, there's a part of the body that is lacking. There's a part that is not, um, that we're, we're suffering together as a body. Now, um, perhaps you're saying, well, I don't really know what my gift is, or I don't know how, how I should best serve. Um, James Montgomery Boyce had a helpful four-step suggestion, which I would... Uh, encouraged to you to consider. Um, the first step he said was search what the scriptures say about spiritual gifts. There's a number of different passages that talk about different types of gifts, uh, not meant to reduce 
uh, the gifts and the gifting of the church down to those things, but it's helpful to look at what Scripture says about that. Secondly, uh, and this may be one of the more important than the first, is pray. Pray that the Lord would um, reveal those things to you, reveal it through um, your study of the Word and also through your conversations with other people. Um, next, make an assessment of your own gifts and abilities. Um, maybe you say, well, I feel called to be a pastor and I want to teach, but you're not a very good reader. Uh, it's not probably a good fit because that involves a lot of reading and studying and languages and things like that. You have to have a sober assessment of your own gifts and not covet something that is uh, not what God has gifted to you. God will uh, equip you and gift you and give you the opportunities to do the things that he has set you apart to do. And then the fourth is rely on the body of believers to encourage you in these things. We don't tend to have a very sober view of our own abilities. Either we have too high of an opinion or too low of an opinion, but other people can see how they have been blessed by you, um, and they might see, be able to speak into your life. But my exhortation to you would be, don't overthink it. God has called you to service. God has gifted you to the church. Look at what God has provided in front of you and take advantage of those opportunities with joy, seeking to serve with the best of your ability with what the Lord's provided. See how the Lord blesses you or what becomes a frustration for you. Work it out in the context of the church. The church is a, a loving community where we benefit from helping each other to grow together. Um, you, you have an opportunity to serve Christ and the kingdom and to help the church build up. Use it for his glorious purposes. This isn't, um, this isn't a call to slavish labor. This is a call to rejoice in the fact that Christ is working through you for the benefit of your brothers and sisters to build up his church, to build up his kingdom, the, the very reason why we planted this church. So may he build us up together in Christ. May he do that for his glory, for our benefit, for our joy. And may we do it with all of our heart, serving our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our King. Let's pray together. Father, it is remarkable that you would choose to do your work even through people such as us. We do sense our weakness and our failings, and yet we cling to the promise that your power is made perfect in our weakness and that your power is at work in us by your Spirit. Would you, would you give us the courage to serve? Would you give us the joy in serving? Would you help us to encourage our brothers and sisters who are courageously serving even beyond their comfort levels that we might build each other up in, in love? We, we want to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. We want this church to be faithful to you and to proclaim your glory in the midst of this culture. Help us to do that. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved,